going to talk today, not so much how to receive salvation, but we are going to look at the security that God provides in and through salvation. And so the question that's going to be posed today is the salvation of a believer, a Christ follower, secure? And what is that security based on? Is it based upon the individual to keep it or the God who provides it? And so some of the questions that prove to be uh, of much debate is the question that can someone lose their salvation? Can someone walk away from their salvation? Can someone say, you know what, Jesus, thank you, but no thank you. Uh, I took it for a little while, but I'm going to walk away now. These are questions that unfortunately in the church world have a quite a bit of debate about them. However, we're going to look at this topic today, and my hope is twofold, okay? For those that are unbelievers, they are not yet Christians, they have not put their faith and trust, that today would be a day that you would personally put your faith and trust in Jesus and become eternally secure. But for the believer, my hope today is that you would find a certain confidence and assurance and what God has spoken to us in his word regarding this salvation that we have in Jesus. All right, you guys ready? So the premise today is this. This is the, the premise that we're starting with. And the many verses that will follow will all be indicators that this statement is factually true according to the word of God. And it's this, just quite simply, once saved always saved. Uh, or some people like to say, once in grace, the grace of God, always in grace. Now, we get excited about the always, but we really got to solidify the once. The always saved is only applied to that person who has once been saved. And so the statement, it only applies to those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus. Now, I propose to you today that if you and I could lose our salvation, we would have lost it a long time ago. If it was up to us, uh, we would have messed up probably day one. See, this is very important that these promises that we're going to look at today, that you are going to be writing down and taking notes on, that they only apply to those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus. If that's not something you have personally done, then what we're talking about today does not yet apply to you. Once saved, then always saved. First John chapter two, verse 19 sets a very good understanding for us of what about those people who appear to have walked away from the faith. They were around church. We grew up with them. They were in my Sunday school. I remember going to camps and now they're an atheist. Now they are living their life as an unbeliever. What happened? Did they lose it? Did they walk away? Well, John would say this, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. The way I like to put this is with us, but not of us. This is very possible. 
It's very possible that there are those in this church today, not just in this room, but campus-wide, who are with us every Sunday, but they are not actually of us yet. They're around, but they're not in. The best example of this was Judas, right? Judas was with the disciples for three years, but was never of the disciples, with, but not of. And over time, time showed all. This is why Jesus makes statements like you will know them by their fruits. This implies that what their life produces in the future, not their past decision. Oh, but they, they went up, they went to the field at, a, at the harvest crusade. Oh, I saw them raise their hand at the altar call. You see, that's not what saves you. Time tells all. There can be an appearance of confession. There can be appearance of being around, but time is the thing that will show whether someone is a believer or not. There's a passage at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter seven. And it's a very sobering passage where people at the end of time come to Jesus and they say, they say, Jesus, I, 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 I called you Lord. I did these things in your name. And he will say to them, I never knew you. He doesn't say I used to know you, but he says, I never knew you indicating that the confession they had was false. They believe, but they never receive. They confess outwardly, but was never inwardly changed. Now, listen, if you are a true believer, the things that we're going to talk about today, you will not take as a license or liberty to sin. Meaning you won't say, well, if I'm always saved, that means whatever I do, as long as I'm saved, I'll still get to heaven. You see, that will be a proof of itself. You're not saved. That will be a proof of itself that there is something inwardly that has not been yet changed by Jesus. This should really prove to all of us a greater motivation to want to please Jesus because of his goodness in our life. Now, this doesn't mean that the Christian never sins. There is not perfection, but when a believer does sin, The Bible says that we have an advocate in heaven. We have someone on our side. His name is Jesus. And so for the true believer, when they do sin, they confess that sin. And Jesus promises continued cleansing and forgiveness. Listen, God desires you and I as the adopted children of God to have an absolute confidence that we are his forever. He is a good father who desires his children to experience peace. That's why we have a verse like 1 John 5.13 that says, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. I love this. John says, listen, the reason I'm writing to you is that you would know. You, You believe in Jesus awesome, then you got to know that you have eternal life and it's never being taken away. And notice the motivation. You who believe that you may know that you may continue to believe in the name of the son of God. God wants this to be something that is settled in your life so that you can continue living for him. Okay. It's that helmet of salvation. And today, if you are saved, 
we want you to put on that helmet of salvation and walk in the confidence that you have as we stand on the scriptures that God has provided for us. All right, let's pray. Father, as we come to this topic of eternal security, God, we pray that today, if there's someone in this room that they don't have a security because they're not yet saved, we pray today would change that. Maybe their parents are saved, their best friend is saved, their, their, uh, their siblings are saved, but they have not yet put their personal trust in you. We pray today would be the day. And for those that have done that in the past, we pray that there would never be a doubt again whether they're yours. There would never be a fear of hell, a fear of death, but there would be this absolute settled confidence in the promises of God. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. All right. So if someone who had salvation was adopted into the family of God and dwelt with the spirit of God, name written in heaven, could either lose or forfeit their salvation, then that means every person in the Trinity, the Godhead, would have had to have failed. God the Father would have failed, God the Son would have failed, and God the Holy Spirit would have failed. However, I believe that the Bible says God never fails, that his love never fails. And so in that exact type of premise, we are going to look at today. You'll notice in your note-taking, you'll see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The reason I believe that once you are saved, you're always saved, isn't because you're able to keep it. It's because God is able to keep his promises toward us. And we have promises in the Bible involving every person in the Trinity. Let's first look at God the Father. You guys see that in your note-taking? So how it's going to work is with each person in the Trinity, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we're going to look at three scriptures. And with those three scriptures, you're going to notice kind of a little title, okay? And, and that way, at the end, we'll have a total of nine un ending promises of God for those that are saved. The first one we're looking at is Philippians chapter one, verse six. Remember, this is all under the umbrella of God, the father, God, the father. To the end, we are promised by God that he will love us to the end. Philippians one, six says, being confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. This is Paul speaking. And notice what he says. He says, being confident. Paul says, there is something I am convinced of. I'm persuaded without a shadow of a doubt that if God began a work in you, then God says, I will see you to the end. I want you to note something down under this, and it's the fact that if God begins something, he is sure to finish it. God always finishes what he starts. He's not like you and I. You and I will start a project and we'll be like, I'm bored, and then we'll go do something else, or we'll forget about it, or whatever it might be. But God says, no, when I started working in your life, when I started speaking to you and you let me in, and you became my child, I will see you through to the end. 
In John chapter 13, verse 1, Jesus told his disciples, uh, he, it didn't, it doesn't, he didn't tell them, but it says that Jesus having loved them to the end. And notice what Philippians 1, 6 says here. We'll complete it, complete that good work in you until the day of Jesus Christ. That word complete, it means to bring to a whole. It means to have a goal and then to attain it. God's goal in your life will be seen all the way through if there's been that moment of allowing him to come into your life. Listen, God will never force himself upon you, but once you make the move towards God, you ain't getting rid of him. He will pursue you until the day that he sees you. And this is the awesome thing of the believer. This is why a believer can be saved and they can still choose. God's not gonna force them, but they will be pursued by the Holy Spirit. Well, they will, they will be miserable if they live a life away from him. He will complete it. First Corinthians chapter one, verse eight. Notice this word confirm. Who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word confirm, it means to secure without conditions to secure without conditions. God says, if you are mine and you've made that, that, that confession of faith and I've, my Holy Spirit has come into your life, it doesn't matter what you do now, you're mine. And it's never going to change. He secures us, confirms us without conditions once we make that faith, that, that step of faith. Secondly, under God the Father, we are inseparable from his love in Jesus. We are inseparable from his love. Romans chapter 8, verse 38 through 39 says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I love this. Notice that word again, persuaded. That is the same exact word that we saw in Philippians 1, 6, when he said confident, persuaded. Paul, the apostle was absolutely convinced that once you were gods, that that, that was never going to change. That you would then become inseparable to his love. And notice the, the, the length that he goes. He says, what's going to separate you from the love of God? It's, it's nothing. Neither death nor life. There's no created thing, he says. Whether present, future, nothing. And he, and, he, and he really emphasizes this fact that nothing will be able to separate us from his love. Because you and I sometimes, our hearts condemn us, right? And so we do something that is not pleasing to the Lord and we think God's done with us. We at times, our heart will be prone to think, man, how could God ever forgive me? And sometimes we lean towards trying to find some loophole. Like, I know God says he'll love me forever, but he, I don't think now. And we try to find some loophole in the contract, but there's no loophole. God says nothing can separate 
you from him, which is an awesome, awesome promise. Thirdly, under this, God the Father keeps us. We are kept by him. We are kept by him. We find this reality in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. Verses 4 through 5 that says, To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. This living hope that the Bible talks about that we have in Jesus is not kept by you. Notice, it doesn't say, and kept by the power of the person, kept by the power of the believer. No, your salvation is kept by the power of God. It's guarded. That's what that word kept means. It's guarded by God. And I don't know if you know anything about the God of the Bible, but nothing gets past him. And that's why he he uses these descriptive words again, because I, I think that the Bible emphasizes this in so many ways because of our own insecurity, because nothing in this world is secure. You know that. There's no security system that can't be hacked. There's there's no lock that can't be picked. We live in a world where where security is a facade. It's It's just a, it's a show. But the security that we have in heaven is something that is completely set and and not changing. And that's why he says it's incorruptible. It's undefiled. It's unfading. It will be there. When you die, your salvation will be waiting for you. Notice that word preserved. Uh, Sorry, not preserved. Reserved in heaven for you. You know, when you go to a restaurant, you put in a reservation. And in theory, they're supposed to keep the table for you. The funny thing about that is sometimes, you know, when you put in the reservation and then you get to the restaurant and they're like, oh, you, well, you just have to wait for 15 minutes. You're like, why did I put in the reservation? Heaven's not going to be like that. There's no in-between time. When you die, you will be straight into the presence of the Lord. John three sixteen, the most famous verse in the Bible. We sometimes get focused. We focus on the, the love, the son, but notice what it says For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, what does it say? Should not perish. You could put in there, should never perish. Meaning even even the most famous verse in the Bible proves the eternal security of the one who believes in Jesus shall never perish but have everlasting life. It doesn't say should not perish unless sin in future, unless, unless he really messes up, unless he doesn't read his Bible every day. No, it says should not. There's no asterisk. There's no reading between the lines. God the Father says he will finish the work that he begins in us to the end. He tells us that nothing will separate us from his love. And he says that he will be the one who keeps us to the last day. Now with that, we could close our Bibles and go home because that's enough right there. But who's next within the the Trinity, the the Godhead? Yeah, the Son, Jesus Christ. And we have a whole lot of promises uh, by God the Son. Now you're gonna notice as we uh, dive into talking about Jesus specifically, you're gonna notice certain areas of overlap. 
And this is intended. This is intended, meaning no one's falling through the gaps. There's going to be some promises that you're like, wait, is that from God the Father or in Jesus? Remember, there is complete and perfect unity within the triunity of God, the, the, what we call the Godhead, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So you're going to notice some overlap that they can apply uh, to both, certainly. Hebrews 12.2 tells us that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. Now, our job is to look to Jesus. And when we look to Jesus and, and receive that gift of salvation, it was never our idea. The Bible says we love God because he first loved us. God took the first step towards us. That's what the word author means. It's the word initiator or the one who originated something. You and I, in our lost, sinful state, didn't wake up one day on our own thinking it would be a really good idea to put our faith in Jesus. No, we were drawn by the Father, the Bible says. We were drawn towards Jesus. It was his idea. He's the author. He gets the credit. He's the one that came up with the idea in the first place. We just said, yes. We said, I want that. We invited him in, but we didn't do nothing. We just put our faith in what he did. But notice, he's not only the author, the initiator, but he's the finisher. This is the one who completes something. Remember, similar to what we just looked at. Told you about the overlap. He is the author but he's also the finisher. He will always finish what he starts just like God the Father. Secondly, we are in his hand. This is what he tells um, uh, not just the disciples, but a group of people listening. He says that we are in his hand. John 10 verses 27 through 30 says, My sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my, what does it say? My hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. So wait, are we in Jesus's hands or God the father's hands? The answer is yes. The answer is both. The answer is we are double covered in Jesus and the Father. And if you know anything about God, the God of the Bible, there ain't no one that is going to be able to overpower him. The promise is that we will never perish. That word to snatch, he says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. This means to take and gain control over. No one is able to come and take your salvation away. There's no curse that someone can put on your life. Is the demonic world real? Absolutely. But they are powerless against your salvation. The devil knows, he knows that the believer is eternal, sec eternally secure. And so what does he do? He doesn't go after their salvation. He knows that's off limits. But, but he can get you to doubt that fact that he knows he can seek to discourage you from living a life of confidence. I believe when he says, notice what he says, no one, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. 
I think that you and I are also included in that anyone, not even us. John 6, 37 says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. This is Jesus speaking. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. We never have to worry about God changing his mind. Well, you were really great when you were young, but now that you're an adult, you're kind of not that great. So I don't, I'm going to think I'm going to, I'm going to take my salvation back. No, he will by no means, if you come to him, he will by no means cast you out. And then the third scripture under God, the son is the fact that when he saves us, he doesn't do it halfway. He does it all the way. Hebrews chapter seven, verse 25 says, therefore he also is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. Do you guys see that word uttermost? Everyone say uttermost. That word means entirely and completely. He is able to save you if you come to God through Jesus, save you to the uttermost. Why? Notice the reason. Because he doesn't just save you and then walk away. No, he's in heaven ensuring your salvation. And so the devil, who is the accuser of the brethren, he'll come to heaven, the Bible describes, and he will accuse those, those who are God's. And Jesus will step in as the advocate and say, nope, that one's covered by me, covered in my blood. He is the one who makes intercession. He stands on our behalf in heaven, ensuring from the time that we give our life to him till the time that we arrive in eternity. Is making sense? Jesus assures us that he's the author and the finisher of our faith. He says that no one is going to be able to take us away from him. And when he saves us, he saves us entirely. All right, God, the Holy Spirit. Third and finally, last, but certainly not least, um, we're going to see three words and three aspects that the Holy Spirit does in the life of the believer. The Holy Spirit, out of the three, we have promises from God the Father and God the Son, and we have promises from the Holy Spirit too, but I would say the Holy Spirit is the most hands-on regarding our salvation. Let me give you some examples. The first one we're looking under this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, which describes to us that God the Father bought us, okay, but it is the Holy Spirit who gives us that proof. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 through 20, describes for us how we are God's property. We are no longer our own. We are a temple, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I love this. God takes such ownership over us that he says, I bought you. Your life doesn't even belong to you. That's why we use that phrase, give your life to Jesus. And once you give your life to Jesus, you don't get it back. And praise God for that. God says, now you're mine. 
And God takes very good things of the things that are his. He doesn't lose anything. Anyone lose things constantly? Oh man, I remember when I was in junior high, I lost an unbelievable amount of everything. My parents would buy me a Bible and I basically just left it in the junior high room because I'd forget it every single Sunday. Uh, I remember my parents would buy me a jacket. I'd leave it at school, just lost everything. Um, when you get older, uh, hopefully that changes for you. Now I don't lose too many things. But listen, God's not, God, God takes good care of the things that he says are his. Not only are we bought by God um, with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in us, but we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We talked about this in the beginning of our series in Ephesians, but let me read to you chapter one. Notice the progression of this. In him, Jesus, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed, everyone say sealed, with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Now, this is the one for me that seals the deal, okay? This word sealed means to be secured as a sign of ownership. Now, God promises all these things, but the Holy Spirit is the proof. The Holy Spirit is the one, is God's way of showing us that we are his. It is the mark that he puts on those that are his. We've talked about it before. We don't have time to get into detail, but this is how in the days of old that they would seal a letter. They would put a seal uh, with a signet ring on a letter, a king would give it to a messenger. And that messenger was then to take that uh, message. And if that seal wax was broken, the letter was no good. But God, when he puts his seal on us, it is the proof of promise showing us that we are his, that we are owned by him, and that he is going to see us through to the end. There's uh, someone named Charles C. Ryrie. Okay? He's a Bible commentator of old. And what, he uses probably one of the best registrations to understand this idea of sealing. Okay, You guys know what mail is? Yes. Hey, not email, like mail, like physical. Have you guys ever gotten a letter? Yes. You guys ever written a letter? Yes. You guys ever, raise your hand if you've never been to the post office. Okay, there's a handful. Okay, we're going to take a field trip and we're going to take you to the post office. Okay, so when you actually go to the post office, there's something that when you send a letter, you can, you can get it as registered mail. There's a few other terms that it goes by. But basically, um, when you register it, the idea is that um, they, they guarantee the mail going from point A to point B. And there's only two persons that are allowed to open the mail. It is both the one who is delivering it, uh, sorry, the, the one who, yeah, the one who brings it, the sender, but also the recipient, the sender or the recipient. Those are the only two people that are supposed to open that letter. And in our case, God sends, he seals us and he sends us, but he's also going to be the one who receives us. He is the one, he is the only one who could, in a sense, break the seal and has promised to deliver us to heaven. That's why it says that he is the Holy Spirit of promise. He's a, we are that uh, purchased possession, all right? 
Third and finally, I know this has been a lot, um, but the last scripture I want to share with you guys on this is the fact that it is the Holy Spirit who is our guarantee. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 through 22 says, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God who has sealed us, we talked about that, and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Guarantee. Everyone likes a guarantee. It's a deposit. The Holy Spirit is a partial payment that God says, this is what I'm giving you for now, but there's more to come. The idea of a guarantee is a pledge. It is a down payment. It's similar to the picture of an, an engagement ring. When someone is given an engagement ring, it is a promise of something more to come. And the Holy Spirit, in a sense, the Bible describes that there is a wedding coming. We are the bride of Christ. There is the marriage supper of the lamb, the Bible says, that in heaven, one of the things that we're gonna do is we're getting married to Jesus. Right now, we are engaged. It's all a picture, okay? It's all a picture of God's commitment to us. And so it is the Holy Spirit who indwells us as we have been bought by, by God and are no longer our own. It's the Holy Spirit who seals us until the day of redemption. And he is our guarantee that all the promises of God will come to pass. And so all these verses that I've shared with you are really only the tip of the iceberg. I had to pick basically nine. Uh, three, I, I didn't have to, but I chose to. But we could just keep going. We could tell second service and third service to hit the road and we could just keep going. There are so many passages. And so it's clear to us that when God repeats these types of things to us, he's trying to get a message to you and I. And it's the fact that this is an area of our life that God doesn't want us to be uncertain and unsettled about. He wants us to be confident and convinced by faith. But remember, these things only apply, all those promises that we've talked about only apply to those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus. For not only those who have believed, you might, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, but have you had a moment in time where you received him? Ultimately, salvation is a work of God and not a work of man. Have you been around the things of God? around the things that the Bible teaches? Are you with us or are you of us? If salvation was obtained by something we could do, then that means it could be lost by something we can do. But we know that it is through grace, by faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. That you may know. We looked at this verse earlier, 1 John 5, 13. These things I have written, the Bible is written for you and I to not only know the path to salvation, that's Jesus, but then afterward, God wants us to say, he wants us to know, to have an un, unbelievable amount of confidence that no matter what we do, nothing is going to change that fact. And so as we come to the end, what, what, do, you, what do you and I do? 
We are to examine our lives. This is number one. All of us in this room, after hearing a message like this, we should examine. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? I don't want you to say anything out loud, but, you, but we must ask ourselves, do we have this type of confidence? And there's either two reasons if we don't. One, you are saved, but not resting on the promises of God. So you, you're his, but you just haven't really known what God has said to you, or you don't believe it. Or two, you're not really saved. You might have believed, you might have known, but there's never been a moment in your life where you have put your faith and trust in Jesus. And so listen, we are to examine, but we aren't to question. So if you are saved, this is not a message for you to be like, well, maybe I'm, I'm really not. No, this is the exact opposite. We want there to be a confidence in you that when an opportunity is presented for you to receive Jesus, that you'll know in your mind, you never need to do that again. Once saved, always saved. And so in those moments of altar calls or harvest crusades or opportunities, when someone says, do you want to receive Jesus? We want you to be able to confidently say, I've already done that. You don't need to receive him again. You just need to walk in the salvation that you've already been given. We must go based upon what the Bible says and not what we feel in the moment. I had mentioned this earlier. This is a reality though, is that Satan doesn't have to do anything. Our own heart can condemn us. 1 John 3.20 says, For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and know all things. The reason that we are giving you this booklet today in this way, and we want you to keep this, is that even in those moments where you don't feel saved, we don't go based upon feeling. We go based upon faith in the written word of God. There's an old hymn that says, has a line that says this, I am sometimes up and sometimes down, but still my soul am heavenly bound. There's gonna be good days in Jesus. There's gonna be difficult days in Jesus, but that does not affect your salvation that is reserved in heaven for you. We don't live by fear, but we live by faith. And how does faith come? But by hearing the word of God. And so listen, when you begin to fear or have doubt, then you go back to this booklet and you pour yourselves into the scriptures. You look at, this is what God, this is his role. This is the son's role. This is the Holy Spirit's role. And you fortify, you strengthen yourself in the Lord and you ask him for that assurance. Okay? So, you guys can close your booklets and go back to the front. Don't write anything yet. Now, this doesn't do anything. This is a piece of paper with ink. But what you could allow this to do in your life can, can change it completely. I want to encourage you guys to take a moment and, and really think through what we've talked about today. I want to give you guys, you know, that opportunity to receive Jesus, but also for those who, of you who have done that. Let's say there's been that past moment. It's time to solidify that. 
Because what God doesn't want is when you hear future altar calls, and if you plan to be in church, you're gonna hear future opportunities to receive Jesus. And in that moment, I don't want you to feel unsettled. God doesn't want you to feel unsettled. In that moment, he actually now wants you to be praying for those who aren't saved. He wants you to take that, that moment, the opportunity to say, God, if there's anyone in this room, God, would they make that, that decision for Jesus? And so you, you have a couple options for those of you who are saved. Okay, you can either sign that today and you're like, no, this God spoke to me. I'm gonna do this. Or maybe it's like, ah, I'm not quite sure yet. Then, then you can go home. You could take this. And you read through back over these scriptures and you ask God to speak to you. And then when you're ready, then you sign that. And you would just say, I, for me, I, Joel Pickett, recognize that once I am saved, remember, you can't forget the once, I'm kept by the Father, held by the Son, and sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day that I see the Lord face to face. All right? You can hit the lights. Um, I'm going to pray, and then I, I, want, to, I want to allow God to, to speak to some of you, okay? Lord, we come before you, and we thank you for this message today. God, we thank you for what you spoke to our heart. And we thank you for Jesus, the fact that he came to this earth and he died a death on a cross sacrificially for us. Lord, as we put our faith and trust in Jesus that we are recipients of the benefit of God, the benefit of his life. That we now, though sinful, as we confess our sin, that, that we can have eternal life. For you loved us enough to send your son that as we put our belief, our faith, our trust in him, you would say we should, we'll never perish but have eternal life. And so God, if there's anyone in this room that has not yet done that, would today be the day? For those who have done in that past, would there just be a confidence that would come as a result? That Satan would have no part in stealing our joy and stealing our peace. And so listen, you guys can keep your eyes closed. And I don't think today I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand or come, come up to the front, right? It's called an altar call. And they call it an altar call because it involves a sacrifice. And the sacrifice is yourself. God says, I want to buy you with the blood of Jesus. I want to come into your life. I want to seal you with my Holy Spirit. I want to place you in my hand that no one might snatch you out of it. And all you have to do is confess your sin. Confess that you are in need of a Savior that you come to a place where you say, I believe that Jesus came, that he lived a perfect life, that he died a sacrificial death, that he rose from the grave and ascended to heaven, and you call on the name of the Lord, and you give your life to him. And the Bible says that in the moment that you do that, you are his forever, he is never leaving. And so there's no special prayer to pray you just, in your own mind, in your own heart, you call on the name of the Lord. 